0: Well, good evening, church. We're so blessed to be able to uh, study these parables of Jesus. Lessons from heaven for life on earth. This is part nine. I've entitled this. I think you'll see the reason for the title as we work our way through this parable. When God's kingdom closes in on your life. When God's kingdom closes in on your life. We're still in Matthew 13. That's a great parable chapter. Matthew 13. Forty seven to fifty, a short parable with a real punchline to it. Matthew thirteen, forty seven. Again, so Jesus says I'm, I'm continuing with these stories about the kingdom. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad so it will be at the close of this age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. The evil they will throw into the fiery furnace. In that place, again, this is Jesus. He's repeated this in every parable, pretty much. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a place, Jesus says. There's the end of the age, and there's a separation. The end of the age is not going to be the same for everyone. There's unrighteous, there's unrighteous. There's reward, there's judgment. And Jesus has been restating this over and over because we don't like hearing it. And Jesus says, if you got ears, make sure you understand this. So this is a great parable. There's always an advantage to studying extended portions of Scripture in a series. And at Cedarview, those of you who attend Cedarview regularly, you know that over the years, at least very frequently, we've spent, uh, well, with me, the last almost 40 years, going through entire books of the Bible, right through, usually verse by verse, at least big sections of Scripture. And I've always felt that there was a, a quiet, unfolding of a better picture and a deeper foundation of understanding the mind of God in that type of study. I think there's merit in it. But however important it is, as a general rule, it's particularly important when we're studying the parables of Jesus, that you don't just look at one parable, but look at all of them if you possibly can. And and the reason is, each parable is... uh designed by Jesus, just to unfold one, sometimes maybe two, one or two big ideas about the kingdom of God. They're never meant to be each parable sort of an inclusive teaching about the kingdom of God, but just to put the spotlight on one aspect of it. That means if you press any parable too far, it starts to break down in terms of helpfulness. Jesus talked about a shepherd and sheep, and it's a beautiful picture. We all, we all love that picture. But I mean, if you, if you push it too far, we all know that most of the time what a shepherd is interested in in terms of sheep is either fleecing the wool or lamb chops. Well, Jesus wasn't trying to teach that. He was trying to show the care of a shepherd over sheep. This parable of the, the dragnet. That's what it's called when God's kingdom closes in on your life. It's a, it, it illustrates this perfectly. Because if you take the two parables we studied last Sunday night, the parables of buried treasure, remember? A farmer, he's out working in his field. He bumps into this treasure almost accidentally as he's working his rented field. The buyer of pearls discovers a pearl of great price. And in each case, these finders, the farmer, the pearl hunter, they sell what they have and they purchase the treasure and they purchase that pearl of great price. But in each case, they make their own decision. They decide to sell their goods and to buy their treasures. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like that, this choice. But if pushed too far, one could easily conclude that we're the only ones involved in choosing the kingdom. After all, if these two people, the farmer, the the pearl purchaser, if they both decided, no, I'm not interested in buying that field. I'm not interested in purchasing that pearl. If they chose not to sell all and buy the treasure, they were perfectly free to simply say, well, no, this is not for me. And simply walk away. Deal closed, no problem. And that's why this parable of the dragnet is a necessary revelation from Jesus to keep us from reaching a false conclusion about just walking away from Jesus, walking away from his demands, no questions asked, walking away from the pressing issue of Christ's kingdom and our lives. This parable that we're studying tonight, here's the important thought in it. Our, my capacity to say no to the kingdom of Jesus, it's only there for a little while. My freedom to say no is a very limited freedom. That's why this little parable, it's one of my favorites. It contains one point of application that is almost unique among the parables Jesus told. The parable of the dragnet. It marks the conclusion of the series of seven parables in Matthew 13. We haven't looked at all of them yet. It's the conclusion of the seven parables about entering the kingdom, how the kingdom works, how do we get into the kingdom. None of the parables is exhaustive in its teaching, but each one picks one aspect, one main feature of what we need to know about the saving rule and reign of Jesus in our lives. For example, the parable of the seed and the soils. We studied that in the first nine verses of Matthew 13. And the emphasis there is the seed is the word. Everything that everything that. Jesus is going to do by his spirit in my heart. It's rooted here. It's anchored here. There's absolute truth. There's revelation. The seed is the starting place for all that's going to germinate and grow. How we hear the word is very important. Three out of four soils. The word is not as effective as it could have been. Then you have the parable of the wheat and tares in Matthew 13, 24 to 30. And, and it highlights the need for among, among people who hear the word, who follow Jesus, who find the fruit of the Spirit growing in their hearts, they're committed to following the Lord. That parable of the other sower, the wheat, the weeds that get sown among the wheat, it just highlights my need for patience and endurance. There's going to be opposition. It's not going to go away. There's two little parables, we haven't looked at them yet, in verses 31 to 35, the power of the mustard seed, and the expanding life of yeast in a loaf of bread, and we haven't looked at those yet, we will, but the idea is that God's kingdom, even though it comes in small beginnings, might not feel anything fantastic doesn't seem to change the whole world when it comes into my heart. Jesus says, I know it starts little, but it's, it has the potential for great growth. It's designed to give hope. True, there are, there are weeds among the wheat. True, there's opposition, but the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast, the kingdom is unstoppable, even though it has small beginnings. Then, of course, last Sunday night, parable of the treasure buried in the field and the pearl of great price. The idea there that, that, that the par- the treasure of the kingdom is, it's not hard to find, but it's costly to possess. It's joyful, but it's not easy. If, if you're going to discover the thrill of treasure in Christ, you have to part with everything else. You, your heart doesn't have room for two or three treasures, just one. So now we come to the parable of the dragnet. We aren't very familiar with this one. And we aren't very familiar with the picture that it contains. And we need to go over it if we're going to get Jesus' main point here. Dragnet. It was typically operated by at least two people. It's a long rectangular net. Picture a long rectangular net with floats on the top and weights on the bottom. One man would stand with the net firmly in hand on the shore. The other would slowly let his end of the net down into the water from a small boat. And from that position, this one anchored on the shore, net floating along at the top, weighted at the bottom, and the boat would keep going in a semicircle, going, 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 until it reached the shore. So it's called a drag net because it, pulls everything to the beach. The key to understanding the point of this parable is right there. And it's this. The fish have only one direction in which to move. They can freely swim away from the net anytime they want, but only by moving closer and closer to the beach. Now, the people in Jesus' day would have seen the operation like this acted out over and over again as they walked along the seashore. They saw the fishermen sifting through the flopping fish on the seashore, keeping the worthwhile ones, throwing the useless catch away. So what are the lessons of this parable? There are three that I want to cover quickly tonight. Point number one, the parable is designed to to tie up what might be considered to be loose ends of the previous parable of buried treasure and the pearl of great price. Because those parables both teach the preciousness of the saving kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the greatest treasure you can find. In his joy, Jesus said, that farmer, he sells everything, he has to buy that treasure. Same with the pearl, So those two parables teach the cost of the kingdom. Both the farmer and the merchant were willing to part with everything else to obtain the joy of knowing Christ. That's the point. But if you only had those two parables, you would almost think the decision to make Christ the central passion of your life was just optional. Some people would sell all they had to buy the treasure. Others might think, "Mm, no, I don't need it. It's not worth it. And those who choose not to, would they'd certainly miss out on the greatest joy and blessing in life. True enough. But is that all there is to it? What about those who choose not to sacrifice all for the treasure of Christ? What about those people? What's their future? So this final parable of Jesus in the chapter, it underscores It underscores the urgency of making the right response. People can choose to sacrifice all for Christ, and they're free to choose not to. People are free to listen to the seed of the word, and they're free not to. Happens in churches all the time. But what about the fruit of that decision? The fruit of the decision to rejoice in Christ or not listen to Christ, the fruit of either decision isn't going to be measured just in this present earthly life. We need to be very careful in our witnessing, by the way, that we don't change the content of the message. We must never present a message that is merely earthly in its emphasis. Never offer a redemption that is framed only in present earthly terms. You'll get joy, you'll get happiness, you get peace, you get a better marriage, you get this, you get that. All of that might be true, but it's not the point of this parable. The message of Jesus always emphasizes eternity. Those who choose not to possess Christ, those who lighten and lessen the call, those who don't take seriously the demands of the kingdom, even if they go to church, they'll ultimately pay an eternal price for that refusal. So what might seem Costly now, what might seem inconvenient now, could turn to disaster later on. Leads to point number two. There is a coming and inevitable day of separation and judgment. I don't know how people miss it because Jesus talked about it more than anybody else in the New Testament. Matthew 13, 49 and 50. So after you see this net pulling all these fish, flopping up on the beach, that's when Jesus says, and this isn't parable, Jesus is stating a fact now, 49, so it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out, separate the evil from the righteous, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Once in a while, I get the feeling most Christians wouldn't like listening to Jesus if he preached in their church. If Jesus said the things he said in the New Testament, Facebook would block him. Twitter would cancel his account. He would not be allowed to say the things that he said. Because he was just relentlessly persistent on some subjects. Listen to me. Two-thirds, two-thirds of the parables that Jesus told end in outer darkness and judgment. Two-thirds. He was constantly calling people to think about the end of the age. Think about the time of judgment and punishment. Nothing else nothing else would be done properly in this life if those things weren't kept in mind. That's why Jesus repeated them over and over again. It's quite a different concept from much of the church. We aim almost everything we do at personal fulfillment. That's what fills up the seats in a church. Jesus aimed everything at eternal glory. And there's all the difference in the world between those two goals. There are many things in life that, at least on the surface, seem personally fulfilling that in effect, in effect can be eternally damning. Conversely, there are many things in this world that seem to be confining, challenging, difficult, costly. You have to sell everything to buy that field with the treasure. You have to sell all the other pearls to have the money to buy that pearl of great price. A lot of things are like that. But but in the long run, turn out to be joy-producing, glorifying to God, eternally rewarding. That's that's what Jesus meant when he said, all true disciples must lose their lives to find them in his kingdom. So how? How can I keep... This is what we want to know, church. How how can I keep my life properly aimed? How can I keep my life properly oriented? We talk a lot about orientation in the world today. How can I keep my life properly focused? And Jesus says, well, you need to think about the end of the age if you're going to live presently in a wise fashion. Paul, he constantly used this mental picture of a race. That might be the most fitting picture of all for the Christian life. The person perched on the starting line, he's already bracing, pruning his mind for only one thing, the finish line. Remember the end of the race. That will help in the daily process of laying aside everything that might slow you down. So, remembering the goal of judgment, that's what we're talking about under this second point. That will streamline the rest of my life. At least it should. I've been looking just quickly at how the saints fixed their attention on the end of the age in the Scriptures. Let me just read you a couple couple passages of Scripture quickly. You can look these up and follow along with me. First John 3, 2 and 3. So what we're looking at here is how Christians will look at John, will look at Peter, will look at Paul. What did they focus their lives on as they lived them in this present age? First John 3, 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. There you go. That's the present. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Here's Peter's words. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Why? Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see what Peter's thinking about. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former Ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Set your hope fully on the grace, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fully, set it there. Here's Paul's words, Second Corinthians 5, 9, and 10. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what Paul's thinking about so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. These are such important texts because we live most of our days in a world where we don't outwardly see anyone experiencing the direct judgment of God. People seem to get away with whatever they want. I see it in our church all the time. We're all prone to adopt worldly lifestyles. People aren't being judged for their sins. They don't seem to be judged for ignoring God. Jesus says, this is thinking that is seriously defective and blind. If, if someone could take us, transport us from where we are right now up to judgment day and just give us a glimpse, just a look, at what will happen then, and then bring us back to live the rest of our lives. We wouldn't live one day the same, not one. No wonder Jesus closes this judgment parable that we're studying with these words, Matthew thirteen fifty one. Have you understood all these things? That's what Jesus asks me. I read his Bible. Have, have you understood? If this isn't understood, nothing else will be right in my life. I'll be earthbound. Peter uses the word, I'll be short-sighted, blind to my own dangerous condition. Find me one person who cheated on his wife one afternoon in some hotel. Find me those supposed Christians who just went away for a pleasure trip and parted with more than their money. Find me anyone who professed Christ at one time, but has now gone farther down the road of rebellion and self-deception than he ever thought he would have dreamed. And I'll tell you what all those people have in common. They got up, they all got up one morning on a day that was going to shape their destiny more than they realized, and they didn't think about Judgment Day. That's what happened. They forgot about where they were heading. They forgot that actions matter far beyond the scope of any one given day. Third point, maybe the most important one of all. This is really the point of the parable. The consummation of God's kingdom closes in on every life, every life in a way that is frequently unperceived. So so these words now from Jesus, they give such a wise and fitting picture. The kingdom comes, closes in, confronts our lives. It comes like seed. We studied that. Like a message that speaks to our heart. But a lot of people don't receive it. That's the parable of the soils. Not everyone rebels outwardly. Some simply refuse to budge rocks under the surface. Other lives are like... Gardens that pretend to embrace the seed, but they're distracted. Thorns and thistles, Jesus said, they choke out the word. So, so now comes this parable of the dragnet. And here's the point. You don't have to make a wise, positive response to God in this world if you don't want to. You don't have to. A lot of people don't. Like these fish. You, you begin to feel the, the pressure. It's the kingdom. Jesus said it's like this in the kingdom. You feel the pressure of the net just pushing against you. The pressure of the kingdom. I don't like it. It's telling me I, I, it's telling me I'm a married man and I can't date this other woman. It's telling me I'm too materialistic. I'm too greedy. It's telling me I don't take the things of God seriously. I don't go to church as often as I should. That that, that net just bumps into me and I don't like it. It's easy. You know what you do? You just swim away. Nothing to it. But only in one direction. You can swim away from the net, but only by heading closer and closer to the beach. You never get around the voice of God. You can delay, but you can't escape. Everything, God's kingdom, everything is moving in one direction, the end of the age. It's the only direction that net moves. That's the only place all of these fish are heading for. The good and the bad. Remember, all of the fish. That's the only direction they're going toward is the beach. Even if they're not thinking about it, just swim away from the net. I don't, I don't like those demands. I don't like those rules. I don't like the cost. I don't like what God is saying to me. I don't like what my conscience is saying to me. I don't like what the Bible says to me. I don't like what the preacher says in church. Well, just, then just swim away. Ignore it. But you can only move toward the beach. There's, there's, an unescapable part of God's kingdom. That's what this parable is teaching. There's a part that includes everybody, even when they're not thinking about it. This apparent freedom, just to ignore God, just to move away when he speaks, it's only an apparent freedom, a temporary freedom, but it's not real. Those fish... They swim away from the dragnet, thinking they avoided the net. But they're only fish, and they're only deceived. They're all headed toward the same beach. And so, the Lord, by his word, he talks to me today, talks to you today, some point of stubborn rebellion like the rocks under the surface. Some area where you avoid dealing with him. And then the church service ends and you just walk out. Go to Swiss Chalet. Go out with your friends. You don't even have to think about it anymore. Or the Lord shows you the idols on the inside of your heart. He shows you where what you're living for the wrong ends, trying to please the wrong crowd. But you choose not to yield. And tomorrow, don't worry, things will go back to normal. You'll get out of bed in the morning. Your conscience isn't going to keep bothering you. You're fine. Just swim away from the net. Or there's some part of your life that's a lie. You're two-faced. You're one thing with certain people. You're something else with others. There seems to be such freedom to continue on like that for as long as you want. But... That freedom isn't real. Look at that verse 47. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Like the opening words of all the parables in this chapter, it, it guarantees, it promises how the kingdom of God works in this world. And in this present parable, the key to remember is this. The kingdom presses almost invisibly on everyone in this world. We will all soon be caught up in God's sovereign plan. God will not be mocked. He won't be ignored. He can't be avoided. He's too great. His rule is unstoppable. So we're so programmed by the course of this age to work with just visible deadlines. If it's not on my calendar, I don't have to worry about it. We plan our lives around our known appointments. We work around paydays. We schedule appointments. We work towards certain bottom lines. We know when the exams are coming. We know what grade is needed to pass. But the kingdom of God doesn't come like that. It never hits you over the head with its presence. It comes into the world, Jesus said, like mustard seed. It grows and unfolds on God's schedule, not ours. And there's such apparent freedom to postpone, to ignore, to procrastinate, to flat-out deny, to rebel. There's such apparent freedom to just postpone all the demands. If you don't want to acknowledge Jesus' lordship in some area of life, well, you don't have to. You don't have to. If you never want to read your Bible, you don't have to. If you're too busy to go to church, don't go. But none of those responses will change what Jesus said about the dragnet. It can't be avoided. Every fish is headed toward the beach, the end of the age. That's, that's the unstoppable truth that Jesus is pressing into our hearts in this parable. No wonder. Verse 51. Jesus speaks. Have you understood all these things? I don't know. Is there a more important question than that in the whole world? Find buried treasure. Listen to your conscience and the word and the spirit, the voice of Jesus instantly when it speaks to your heart. Treasure him like gold. You don't have to, of course. You can swim away, but that net is going to pull everyone on the beach eventually. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray. We're amazed at the way your word can cut through the fog of our culture's thinking and the carelessness with which many of us who have walked with you for a long time, just, just the ease with which we can almost pretend you're not speaking to us when you are. And thank you for this parable, this warning that swimming away from the net only brings us closer and closer to judgment. Help us to hear all your word, not not with condemnation, but with life-giving obedience, a yielding to the Spirit. Bless this word to Cedarview Community Church, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Love one another. Join us for our prayer time.